Hello and welcome to the Simplecast. On this episode, Chris talks with Zach Hunter, founder of the movement Loose Change to Loosen Chains, a movement Zach started when he was just 12 years old. They'll be speaking today about Chapter 1, Lemonade with a Purpose, How to Start Small Wherever You Are. It is a great conversation. Can't wait for you to hear it. So why wait? Here's Chris. Welcome to the Simplecast. I'm your host, Chris Marlowe, and I'm here with my new friend, Zach Hunter. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for uh, inviting me into the conversation. Awesome. Hey, man, we just hung out in Denver at Q Conference, and we had some really great conversations about doing good and the different you know, challenges that we face when it comes to serving others. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very excited that you're on the show. You have this fascinating story of making a difference as a young kid, and I can't wait for everyone to kind of hear about that. But before we jump into yeah. kind of how you've impacted the world you know, on your past, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and who you are and you know, married kids all those fun things absolutely yeah well you know i got started doing all the stuff you're talking about and obviously you know i can i can tell that story in a second when i was 12 i'm 24 now so i've been doing really justice work for for half my life at this point which is really crazy to think about you're like <laughs> um, an old man now 24 i feel it sometimes you know <laughs> it, could, it could be my left knee is a little wonky <laughs> also yeah a lot has happened, man. A lot of cool stuff. But yeah, I'm married. We have one two-year-old who's just awesome. Uh, and at the moment, we've actually, uh, in, within the last six months, my wife and I moved to Philly so I could start work with American Bible Society, 200-year-old organization, which is crazy. We just celebrated our 200th birthday, kind of working in the area of digital innovation and figuring out uh, not even necessarily like how, how do we proselytize people you know that's that's not where the heart is at least that, that's not where my heart is i can't speak for the organization but i i do see this great movement towards saying let's let's figure out how we can build relationship and shift perceptions of the bible to be maybe more accurately in line with how jesus calls us all to live on a personal personal basis and what's really cool is that that often involves justice yeah yeah that's great i think it's so interesting you know being you know, you, you want those outside the church to like be intrigued by scripture, and yet yeah. for the most part, they've totally tuned it out. And then, totally. you know, it's like they don't even realize, like, man, there's all there's amazing stories. It's mm. it's not a P, PG or a G book. It's it's <laughs> actually something they would really resonate with. And so I'm glad you guys are working hard to try totally. to figure out how to make um, scripture relevant again it, to a generation that's really they're kind of starting to ignore it at many levels. Oh, for sure. All right, so let's jump in. You kind of created a movement, like you literally started a movement, and I, and 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 you know, I want you to talk about it just for you know two or three minutes, like yeah, why, how, what's going on with it now? I don't want to like you know give it away yet. I want you to be able to kind of do the punchline, but like we're, we're wrestling with chapter three in the book, like you know, simple, powerful acts of doing good, and and you live this out every single day. So tell us about your story, and then we'll go from there. Mm. Well, thanks so much, man. Yeah, I mean, this this particular part of my of my life, my story starts, like I said, when I was twelve years old. Even though it probably goes back before that, I, c- I can trace some of the, some of the thought processes that I've adopted now, some ways of living, back to when I was twelve. I was in seventh grade. It was February, which is Black History Month, as as almost everybody knows, and I was learning about the amazing men and women who'd fought for their own freedom, for the freedom of others during the time that slavery was legal in America. And I learned about how people with my skin color thought it was okay to own 
other people even justified it with the Bible, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, it, it went both ways, you know, as far as Christians in that regard. But, you know, I mean, what, what the, the punchline for me was that looking at these stories and, and reading about the, the horrendous things that people of my race did to other people for their own selfish gain just made me so angry. And it was something that was, you know, more than mildly disturbing to just kind of be sitting in history class and and to have this general feeling or aura that, like, this is just generally accepted, like, this is something that happened and we've moved on. Like, that seemed to be the general sentiment in the classroom. I don't know that that was intentional on the teacher's part, but that was the feeling. And at the same time as I was processing that, I was also processing this helplessness because I had this strong sense of justice, this anger about injustices perpetrated to other people. But, you know, we were kind of taught that all the big battles had been fought, right? Like Hitler was dead, slavery was abolished, like, you know, everything's everything's neat and tidy yeah. and, and there are no more big battles to fight. And, and the truth is that everything's everything hasn't gotten easier, things haven't gone away, things are just gotten bigger and more complicated. And I learned that shortly thereafter. I heard that, more, that there were more than 27 million people physically enslaved around the world. Heard about kids just like me who were forced into prostitution or, or bonded labor, you know, working uh, at, at brick kilns, making bricks all day or, or crushing boulders down into gravel at rock quarries and decided I had to do something. So I started a campaign called Loose Change to Loosen Chains. Literally just started like a loose change fundraiser in my church and in my school. One thing kind of led to another because people thought it was really weird. At, at that time, not that many people were talking about slavery initiatives with the exception yeah. of the amazing organizations that were doing the practical work, you know, the amazing men and women, uh, investigators and lawyers who were, who were executing on this, this call to justice. And so, you know, raised, raised a, you know, a fair amount of awareness through a crazy series of events, ended up speaking in all these different churches and schools, got run on. I sort of the youth spokesperson for this film called Amazing Grace about the life of the British abolitionist named William Wilberforce, kind of drawing the correlation between the historical issue, the modern day issue. Through that, ended up speaking all over the country, writing a couple books about justice and about passion. And wait, about, wait, real quick, dude, you're like yeah. 12 years old, right? Like you're supposed to be playing <laughs> video games and like youth soccer and, and you know, whatever. I mean, like now you're speaking all over the world about, you know, the slavery trafficking sure. movement. I mean, that's, that is, that is so amazing. I mean, when you look back at that now, 12 years later, like sure. reflect on that, like what, how did, how did all that happen? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, you know, while in, in my mind it all kind of blurs together, I mean, looking at it, this is stuff that still happened over the course of a few years, you know? So at age at age 12, you know, I did the fundraiser and spoke at a couple different places. At, at 13, I got invited to speak at a couple more places. At 14 was when I got that invitation to speak, to speak across the country about justice in general. And a lot of those connections were, were made, you know, through family and friends. My, my mom was working at International Justice Mission at the time as their VP of Communications, which was how and that's that's an entirely different story about how she didn't really tell me what she did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she sure. she wasn't she wasn't prepared to talk about yep. kind of the, the level of injustice and, and the horrible stories she heard and had to figure out how do we interpret this for a mass audience to get the word out about about this terrible injustice. You know, she she wanted to protect me from that from that hurt, knowing that I'm kind of an, an empath. You know, 
but that's that's kind of another story. I mean, the the whole process is still really surreal, and I think we can kind of see the hand of God in it. Not because I'm special, but in fact because I had a lot of struggles. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of hilarious because my struggles were on a, on a very like personal level. Like I dealt with an anxiety disorder, you know, from the age of, from the age of I think eight, you know, up, right up until that point, and right up until I was about twelve when I had the opportunity to speak in front of people, to stand up and, and amplify the voices of people who might not normally be heard. And I took, I took the opportunity, you know, not, not to overcomplicate it. There were tons of people. I mean, I, I think I can really attribute kind of everything that's happened since then to, sure, a certain amount of hard work, but mostly there were people who believed in me enough <laughs> and, and risked, risked something by saying, let's bring a 14-year-old kid in to speak about justice. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, well, I it, love that, the fact that, yeah. you know, oftentimes, especially in the anti, kind of the anti-trafficking world, right. a lot of the speakers are very formal. You know, they're like lawyers and they're, they're dealing with political issues and they walk in sure. with suits and, and mm-hmm. you walk in as a 14-year-old <laughs> kid saying, and, and, and I want you to talk about this for a second. Yeah. There, there was a moment of anger that you mm-hmm. had. Yeah. Most people, when they have that anger, the second moment is they feel so overwhelmed by the largeness, by the bigness, by, mm-hmm. I mean, 27 million slaves. What helped you overcome that big number to actually start something small that made a big impact? Definitely. Well, I mean, the, I, I think the answer is twofold, and that's seriously an awesome question. I think, number one, to, to quote... William Pitt, who was an associate of William Wilberforce, the abolitionist I mentioned earlier, he said we're basically in reference to uh, his his youth. Uh, he was the youngest prime minister, I think, in British history up to that point, mm, yep. and maybe ever. I, I'm not sure. I don't know that much about British history. I don't know if you do. But no, no, I don't. <laughs> so, we, we, we just told the entire world or 20 listeners that we don't know anything about British history together. So there we go. Yeah, we just we did it. But but uh, there's just, just this amazing quote where he said, "We're we're too young to realize that certain things are impossible, so we'll do them anyway." Mm. And uh, I mean, it, you know, it's it's a it's a pithy quote, but I think also very realistic because I had no concept of 27 million. Yep. I had no frame of reference for 27 million, and because of that, what I focused on wasn't the magnitude of the problem; it was the existence of the problem. Mm. So that's that's number one. Is I think through a youthful eye, you don't you don't necessarily assess or comprehend magnitude. Yep. You're literally just looking at the essence of the problem. This is injustice. This is something that's that's terrible. And then you have a choice to make, you know, based on whatever level of, of feelings or empathy you have towards people. Guilt, I think, is a terrible motivator. And I would encourage people to figure out, I mean, and it's psychologically complicated. That's, you know, another thing entirely. But I think most people's reaction to hearing about this kind of injustice, if they're not totally desensitized to it, and a lot of us have are that or, or have become that that's something to guard against but our common our common reactions are sadness or anger you know yep. often followed by helplessness you're absolutely right but i mean to, to people of faith my one my one big encouragement is like you know if you believe in a creator yeah. and you believe that he gave us emotions i would i would offer the the feedback the understanding that we have emotions for a reason not to just make us feel something and to leave us there afloat, you know, adrift in, in, a, in a pool of our own feelings, but to motivate us into action, you know? Yeah, that's and great. for me, that's the, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the difference between being interested in something and being passionate about something, you know? And I define passion as the willingness to sacrifice for something, yeah. which is exactly how I think we could define love too, right? And so when we hear love your neighbor or treat others as you want to be treated, 
what what does that look like? And I think it looks like sac- being willing to sacrifice for someone else so that they have a better life, so they have a shot, so they have a chance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that. that's the difference, you know? One of the things we say all the time is we're not, we're trying to give people around the world who live in these in developing nations, yeah. dealing with extreme poverty, we're trying to give them the same opportunity we have, a, a just really a shot mm-hmm. at life, a shot at food and jobs and education and like living a life mm-hmm. like God wanted us to, to live with joy and with peace and, and so we're not trying to fix the whole world we're just trying to give people a shot an opportunity oh. and I love kind of how you're in the same lines so I want to ask you a quick question mm-hmm. so 12 and then you obviously have been doing this since 12 you've been engaged in the justice conversation scripture warns us not to get weary in doing good mm-hmm. how have you been able to kind of stay on the path of seeking justice and doing good without allowing all of that to one overwhelm you and Mm. two to assume that you have to fix all the world's problems Mm. wow yeah that is an awesome question i don't think my answer is as tidy as i'd like it to be because i know there have been seasons of my life where i've definitely dropped the ball yeah yeah. i know there have been seasons of my life where just just being raised in the church and also coming from the context I come from, if we're getting super real, from a hyper-privileged context, yeah. being a, a white, uh, cisgender, heterosexual, Christian male in America, right? Yep. <laughs> it's crazy. And uh, feeling feeling like, you know, there's there's almost a, uh, some kind of a, uh, a burden or expectation of leadership on me, that, that kind of culturally instilled assumption, which I think can be, in some cases, enhanced by the church, but that's neither here nor there because ultimately it's my responsibility how I've dealt with that. To be totally honest, like in a lot of instances, I think I've taken way too much personal responsibility in my mind for uh, trying to sway people's reactions, trying to get people engaged and and sure, instill sure. passion. You can't force people to do that, you know. So that's that's one thing that I mean, it's it's not rocket science, but understanding like you can't control people, but you can try to tell them the truth, you know, and so. I mean that's that's one of the one of the big things I think I've struggled with and, and continue to struggle with, continue to, to to try to work through not in a striving sense, but in, in just a, a continuously active sense as an act of meditation, as an act of faith to to break through to ba- break through all the layers uh, of, of my own uh, experience and context to really boil it down to say like we're all humans. We're all on this earth together. We all want the same thing, you know? We, we all want to be loved and known, and everybody deserves a shot, right? So exactly what you're saying. But even even more pointedly, talking about not growing weary of doing good, I mean, I think I think there are very, some very specific ways people can uh, foster in themselves, and even in others in community, <clears throat> an ongoing passion for worship and for justice. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that involves... Uh, continually taking action on your interests to make sure that your passion doesn't die out. You know, so I mean, whatever whatever it takes to stay involved, uh, whatever that means. If that means getting involved on a practical level, this is something I'm I'm trying to do and haven't even done yet since moving to Philly. I'm trying to get involved with local anti-human trafficking organizations on a personal, individual level, not as a personality, but just as an individual. Sure. Because you got to get skin in the game, or else it really is just an interest, and you will grow weary of it. Mm, I love that. So 
I think, you know, all the time, one of the things I try to encourage others, and I hope hopefully the book will do the same thing, is like there are also seasons where mm. before you get weary, you need to step back and rest. And I think we really, we forget the importance of soul care and yes. resting. And when, you know, when we put the weight of the world on our shoulders, eventually we're going to break down. And mm. so trying to keep a clear line of sight, like, okay, here's my role. Here's my gifts. Here's where God's called me to engage. Let's be intentional and focused. But also knowing that, you know, this is this is a lifestyle. It's like it's like getting healthy. It's like justice is doing good is, is a lifestyle that we need to integrate. It's not just a trip. It's not just a, a one-off thing that we do. And so, mm-hmm. speaking of lifestyle, I know your mom. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know. Yes, good call there. <laughs> you won't be able to go home for Christmas if you don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell us about how your family helped create this environment that you lived in, because obviously you were supported a lot by family. How important was family in your life and doing good definitely yeah i mean uh, from a very early age i think one of the things my parents did really really well was and this i don't even know i i'm sure this was intentional to some degree but i mean i, I know that i i grew up not just around not not just around white people <laughs> that was yeah. that was one thing <laughs> getting to know people on a personal level not even not even like you know i mean i i feel like It'd be dicey to say there are right ways and wrong ways to build to build relationship across you know across all these different constructs and contexts within America. But like, I mean, one one of the big the big things was just that whether intentional or not, like I mean, the, the community I grew up with had a diverse uh, uh, you know diverse range of perspectives, and because of that, I think you know passively uh, I had empathy instilled in me for a variety of, of experiences I had at least the opportunity to, to to glimpse someone someone's life through their lens or to see how they might see something and I mean that's something that I, I can't thank my parents enough for that uh, opportunity and I know that there were also intentional like teaching opportunities they took you know any anytime we were able to serve in the community anytime we were able to interrogate an idea you know if there was something controversial or difficult I mean sure everybody's individual bias comes through no matter what but uh, my parents encouraged me to always look at the other side of things and I think I think that what that really exposed me to is the idea that there's more than more than one side to things, often more than two sides to things. Yeah. You know, shout out to the two-party system. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I know this was not what we were planning on for this conversation. Don't worry. We're going to cut that out. No big deal. No, no, but, um, but I, what, what I'm really saying is I, I, I think, I think the, the breadth of perspective and the encouragement to, to pause and think, how would you feel if you were in this situation with their experiences, whoever it is, regardless, whether it's someone you agree with, whether it's someone who looks like you or doesn't, whether it's someone who shares your point of view, I think that was an extremely valuable gift that, that my parents gave me and fostered in me from a really, really young age. It's, it's really cool, too, because they weren't scared to almost create tensions, to create mm-hmm. questions. They didn't try and keep you in a box, which probably allowed you to really grow and thrive and kind mm-hmm. of live in the different, you know, tensions that you live in now as a 24-year-old trying to navigate, you know, Christianity and justice mm-hmm. and job and family. And so I think that's great. So, okay, looking back, 12 years, 
a mm-hmm. grow. You're 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 12 years old. You start you start. You have this passion. Justice kind of grips you. Anti-trafficking, mm-hmm. slavery. Tell tell us some of the stories of impact. Like what 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 did you know loose change to loosen change? What were, what was the tangible impact that a 12 year old boy and your family and friends and churches? It was more than obviously you, just you. Tell us about the impact that you all made together. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the great part, is that <clears throat> from the get-go, all the resources, I mean, that's it's kind of a double-edged sword. You'll see what I'm saying in a second. Uh, all the resources to start and run a Loose Change to Loosen Chains campaign were made uh, totally free for everybody online. It was all open source. And so anybody around the world could take uh, the, the posters and the resources and the sample PowerPoint presentation and everything and go present at their school, at their church, at you know their various social gathering places or clubs. And people did. People took it and ran with it and, and gave to a variety of, of justice organizations. And because of that, A, I mean, I'm, I'm still hearing stories, still receiving messages and getting questions 12 years later about the campaign and how to start the campaign. Yep. The, the downside, I guess to some extent, uh, is that None of the money came came through me, which is great. Uh, with with the uh, caveat that you know, that means that I, I can't give people a, a concrete figure for how much was raised. So that's a bummer. But what's extremely exciting is that I still <laughs> I still hear from people. I still, still hear from kids who who are like 12, 15, 17, you know, kids in, in college, you know, people who aren't that much younger than me, who are, who are excited about this, who are hearing about it maybe for the first time, and find out, hey. Someone who, who was, was my age when they were learning about this issue uh, tried to do something, and they created something that I can take and run with. You know? yeah, so, yeah, and your goal wasn't to start a nonprofit. It wasn't to raise oh, specific money for specific projects. It was advocacy, yeah. fundraising, give That's it to organizations who are already doing the work. So one of the things you did really yeah. well is, is you helped empower a movement of everyday, normal, ordinary people mm-hmm. to get involved and help other nonprofits who had already been engaged in the work. I mean, that's powerful. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it's that was definitely the hope was that it would spread very quickly, and and there was uh, some intentionality from what I remember. Again, I mean, I was twelve, so <laughs> there's there's a lot going on. But you know, I I do remember the idea that let's let's set an example with this. Yeah, let's give it away for free because I just I just saw the the barrier to entry, especially as people were just finding out about this issue, was so hot because yeah. everything's so weighty as you were saying. Yep. And just thought, yeah, let's let's give it away. Let's let's make this spread like a virus if we can. Awesome. So hey, real quick, what 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 are you doing now? Like what's what yeah. tell us about kind of your 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 current life. You're you know obviously you're yeah. you're with a two hundred year old company, but what what's your <laughs> dreams for the future when it comes to justice and doing good and all mm-hmm. those types of things? Yeah, I mean, the future is at once wide open, and also I think there are some very specific issues and, and opportunities that I'm excited to explore. I can speak to some of them very specifically, and some of them I'm going to have to be super mysterious about. But yeah. <laughs> basically, I mean, you know, justice in general, it might sound cliche or whatever, but I mean, it's, it's always going to be a part of me, and it's something that I, I care about is seeing not just equality reached, but, but equity, you know? I mean, true, uh, wh- whatever that looks like, uh, offsetting the scales of injustice and that can take so many forms in in this day and age there's still so many things to work on in america and i i mean i love america so much yeah. and uh because of that i see i see a lot of stuff where i'm like man 
Yeah. I would love to get people together and talk about some of these things, depoliticize issues of injustice, and have like real heartfelt conversations, create fundamental change in halls of power, in companies, and stuff like that. So that's that's stuff that's on the horizon. Some exciting collaborations with with uh, other writers, with artists, really all all around the the idea that if we want not only to to see justice done in our generation and in future generations, but if we want to see the survival of the church, mm. if if we want the Bible to to have have any any kind of impact, uh, not just today but in the future, I think we need to fundamentally change how how we talk about things and how we treat people. Oh, and that's, that's that's at the core of everything. That's a whole other podcast right there. We Definitely, can, we can dig <laughs> deep into that one. Yeah, but but I love that you're. And this is kind of a, I guess, last question. Yeah. You started something new as a young teenager, but now you're a part of something that's old. How do you mix those two worlds? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, are you referring just to the organization? Yeah, because I think it's it's fascinating, yeah. right? Because it's so easy to always want to start something new our entire yeah. lives. And we had this conversation a little bit in Denver. Like totally. You're kind of you're now helping an older organization. That's amazing. <laughs> kind of connect and engage with the new generations of people that are disconnected from their story. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, two things. Number one, I mean, American Bible Society, while being 200 years old, has also gone through some really fundamental transition. And this isn't ad, this isn't an ad for the org at all. Like, I mean, the, basically the, the air, there was an air of anticipation that I just felt when I, when I toured the office seven months ago. And uh, to me, my understanding of the culture and where they were headed, the, the office culture, the corporate culture, where they're headed, uh, felt like a startup, which just blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, it's a startup with, with, the, uh, with the, the experience and the connections of a 200-year-old organization. And so that possibility um, and the idea that really, I mean, who, they, I, I think there, there are a few, a few entities that are poised to really make uh, long-term impact in conversations about faith and about justice i was like man if if we're gonna do it this is a great place to start and then uh in addition to that man i'm I'm always working on something new you know there are plenty of exciting things on the horizon but you know i mean first and foremost i'm excited about what you guys are doing and and promoting uh promoting this so Uh, hey i promise i didn't pay him for that everyone just fyi did not pay zach say that no okay zach thank you man thank you so much for your time thank you for being, you know, a young kid that says, you know what, I can make a difference for integrating justice into your life. Mm-hmm. I hope your story is a perfect example from the book. What if doing good is simple? I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 the work on the ground can be hard and complex, but for but for the masses, for most folks who have a nine to five job or they're going to school or they're in high school or junior high like you were in, it doesn't mean that they can't make a huge difference in the world. And your story is just proof that doing good can be simple. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your impact. And you can find more information about Zach and his books and his writing in the show notes. Zach, thanks for hanging with us today. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate it. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Thanks, Zach and Chris. You'll find links to a few of the things that we talked about today at our show notes. You can follow Chris online at Chris Marlowe or find them at chrismarlow.me. The Simplecast is produced by Austin Collins and me, Ken Newsbaum, and our music is courtesy of Lamar Stockton. Find out more from him at lamarstockton.com. For Chris Marlowe and Zach Hunter, thanks for listening. And until next time, do good, do good well, and find someone to do good together with. Thanks. Thanks.